Blog Talk Radio. This week's Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash Dungeon Crawlers Radio to start your free trial membership. No love Broadcasting live from the PCR studio. The Emperor has been expecting us. Where Geekishik and Pandemonium reign supreme. Your host will discuss everything you need to know about the world of Geek. Oh, yeah! Go grab your staff, throw on your cape, and roll your 20 sided die because it's time for. Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Wow, that's so short. See, I put it in there. It was quick. <laughs> I know. It's amazing when we cut out certain things. Yeah. So that is the new intro. So welcome to uh, today's mini boss. Yes. So uh, normally we have a, a different intro for the mini boss, but. It's all going to be uniform, so. Kind of felt like kind of felt like bringing out the the new the new stuff. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, Miniboss is a weird name anyway. Like it, the, it's staying though. I know. I'm just saying, not not for a show. I'm just saying in general. Like I've yeah. played a lot of games. A lot of the mini bosses were harder than the boss that was after them. And that's exactly why this is harder because we have to condense everything into an hour. Yeah. And that's all we get. And that's why it's made into mini. Yes, right. it's, well, smaller. Door, it's smaller, it's and it's a boss. Yes. Well, I better give up my seat. Yes, give up your seat, <laughs> okay. because you are the intern. See, you, you must be shunned. That's right, move, like like move said, far, man, far I'm, away. I'm in your <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I, I am welcome. Hey, I, I guess I guess we could probably do a quick introduction and then yes. uh, jump right into this. Okay. So uh, go on ahead. Right so this is Revan. It's a guy named Joe. And this is Lord Mighty and Powerful Lord Lagoon. I'm just the intern. Yep, and it has to move around. <laughs> no, see, intern love. We got to have like National Intern Week. I think there is. Is there? There, there is. is. I mean, there's, there's a National yeah. Boss Day, so I'm pretty sure there's something for interns. Yeah, what they do is they go and tell everybody to go get some coffee. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and with this special joining us live in store is the illustrious, the man, the myth, legend, Brandon Sanderson. Hi. Hi. This is what my fourth appearance. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, you are a busy man. I am. Yeah. <laughs> we we saw you at Gen Con. Uh huh. And it seemed like you're, you know, welcoming everyone. But it seemed like you were a little sick. Um. You know, when you see me at a con like that, usually it's after I've been, particularly in con season. Uh huh. Set several of these. I wasn't sick. Uh, I don't think I might have oh. been. I usually get sick at some point during it, but I'm also talking a lot. Yeah, so I'm probably just tired. Exhausted. Yeah, um, and you know, I end up then sitting around and playing magic with people till like 2 a.m. and then I'm on panels <laughs> the next morning and stuff. And it's not good. It's, it's not good to send me. It's got to be tiring. Con. Yeah, yeah. So, so there we are. That's what happens. It oh. was, it's really fun. Gen Con is a blast. Yeah, no, so. it, it is. Uh, it has a, a surprisingly good writing sort of community. Mm-hmm. The um, the people who um, run the writing track there, they do a great job, and the fans read a lot. Uh, I wouldn't have thought going to the gaming convention, I would have huge lines of people wanting books signed, but they yeah. did. So. 
Yeah, I've always I we just went last year, not this year, but the year before for the first time, and we were actually amazed at how many like yeah. artists and authors mm-hmm. are there signing books. And, and there, a great there was a huge line. Well, and the thing was, it was really also friendly and comfortable. Yeah. Like, um, I've gone to Comic-Con like four or five times, mm-hmm. the San Diego one. And it's a blast, but it is, you know, you're, you're wall-to-wall people. You're shuffling instead of walking. Mm-hmm. Um, every panel you want to get into, you have to wait five hours to go to. Wow. Um, it's just, it's crazy. Okay. Comic-Con is so huge. And Gen Con is big, but it doesn't feel so big you, you yeah. can't do things. Yeah, it definitely has that feeling. Mm-hmm. So, um, yep. Let's talk about it. So your new book, Stillheart. Yes, indeed. Uh, I know these guys haven't read it yet. Mm. They, they haven't got a missing. copy. I, I had to buy. I, I bought it. It's next on my Audible list. Get Costco. Go buy it. But uh, <laughs> great book. Oh, thank you. you know, what made you to kind of decide to go the superhero route? Well, I um, am well steeped in geek culture, yeah. as you might imagine. I started reading comics right after I got into fantasy books. Okay. I think it was about the right time, same time. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in there. It's so hard to remember. It's been 20 mm-hmm. plus years now. Um, but my comic was TMNT. Okay. The original yeah. Eastman and Laird, yeah. like the real Black TMNT, and white. Black yeah. and white. They all wore red ma- masks. Yeah. None of this changing colors mask thing. You have definitely yeah. been raised higher mm. on my list. Even though you were already up there. <laughs> <laughs> and those comics were awesome. He added yes. a yeah. ladder to the, yeah. to the pedestal. Um, <laughs> and while I never became like the comic super nerd, mm-hmm. like I became a, I'm a fantasy book super nerd. Yeah. That's what I am. Um, I had a lot of friends who were into comics, and it was great because I could have them give me the, the like completed storylines that, that were good. Like, you know, and the, there was the, the one storyline where Spider-Man got Captain America's powers and stuff like this. Not Captain America's, um, Captain Marvel's powers. Yeah. Um, yeah, the cosmic and, powers. Yeah, cosmic yeah. powers. And like, this is a good arc. You should read this. And I love those things. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Watchmen and some of these, these greats. But stuff like that. Yeah. I just have my friends handed to me. Um, and so I've always had this little itch in the back of my mind. You know, I read the whole Superman is Dead sequence, which, yeah. which was a lot of fun um, with the different, you know, Supermen and incarnations. Yep. And just in the back of my mind, do I ever want to use any of this? Because as a writer... One of the things that you look to do is you, you try to look at similar fields and say, what are they doing that's awesome, and can I incorporate this? Uh, one of my favorite examples this in the, um, out right now is the Ender's Game movie, oh, yeah. which Ender's Game is really an underdog sports story yeah. told as a science fiction novel. And when you can kind of use some archetypes, like the Hoosiers in space is really what it is. You actually break the I like that. And there's and you look at it, it really is. Um, and if you can if you can go and do these things, you know, George R. R. Martin says Game of Thrones came from um, doing the War of the Roses, uh, medieval medieval historian, and reading about that and saying, well, let's do a fantasy version of this, a little bit closer um, analog there. But so watching what's going on and what people are doing in awesome ways and other elements mm-hmm. of storytelling, other aspects of storytelling, and then incorporating that is something we're always looking to do as a writer. Um, and I love this idea. I like to take a genre and start asking some of these what-if mm-hmm. questions. My what-if for Steelheart was the, the idea of what if people started gaining superpowers. I, I think the earliest inception of where an idea might have started going was the television show Heroes. Okay, yeah. Um, with, the, with people just start, in our world, manifesting these powers. Yeah. And these powers, and it was the coolest aspect of that to me was the, here's a real-life you know, bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Suddenly these powers start appearing. Let's deal with this. Of, of everyday lives plus suddenly manifesting powers. Yeah. 
And I asked myself, well, what if there were no superheroes? What would we do if people started gaining powers, right? If some guy just, you know, on the street, I always imagine what would happen if, you know, that I accidentally, you know, insulted somebody and then they started glowing with power and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> um, you know, I once I cut someone off in traffic when I was about when the story started mm -hmm. here, and, and I didn't cut someone. Someone cut me off in traffic. Yeah. I'm driving along, they cut me off, and I'm like, ah, you are lucky I don't have superpowers. I would blow your car up right now. Boom. I would just shoot that blast of energy, and your car would be vaporized. It'd be awesome. Uh, and you kind of use that in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of the concept. Yeah. Is um, is the what if? What if we really had these powers? And what if? What would we do? Mm -hmm. Like. Ask yourself, what would you do as, as a country if people started gaining powers and just wanted to start taking things? People would walk into Epic Games and be like, yeah, I want all of your games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you have to say, well, it, you, you just have to give it to them. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to burn the place down and kill everyone inside. You can't call the police because the police will say, they're forces of nature. We can't make laws to deal with these people. What do you want us to do? Balance, bullets bounce off of them. They can break out of any prison. Mm -hmm. um, you just got to let them do what they want to do. And that was so such a cool concept the idea of just having to let them do what they want to do and how we would live and exist with people like this uh was what made me write my story nice i like that so then regarding that then what uh what sorts of morality plays come into right back here because i mean you would imagine that there's got to be people who have warped senses or suddenly that sudden rush of invincibility right right we'll, right warp that sense of yeah 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 uh, well the question becomes this idea of if i want to deal with this um that power this, how does power corrupt mm -hmm. um and it actually becomes a plot point in the book is the act of getting these powers corrupting people because the power is so corrupting is there something um, sort of magical about the powers that's doing this to them or is it just having a lot of power makes people just go crazy with it or is whatever's choosing people to have powers choosing evil people and that's kind of the, the big question for for the series is one mm -hmm. of the big questions what what is this but it is me the morality of it is the idea of dealing with this power corrupting what do we do with power corrupting yeah mm -hmm. I like that because, I mean, you see that in several things. I mean, you kind of see it a little bit in Star Wars in some yeah. cases. Mm -hmm. uh, several comic book story lines show that as well. That's so. a very common theme yeah. um, in the genre, definitely, definitely. Wow. So then will we be seeing, like, uh, uh, I guess more thematic superheroes come along then as these powers are, are uh, manifesting more and more? Are we going to see, like, Rorschach and Superman and uh, oh, Wolverine? Yeah, you, you know, I like to... I like to search for things I can play with, um, powers and aspects that I think have some room for exploration. This is really tough because comic books have done a lot. Yeah. There have been a lot of creative people writing a lot of creative stories for the last, you know, almost 100 years in these comic, um, this comic book sort of superhero trope we have. Mm -hmm. Granted, they've also been writing comic books about Lois Lane, um, you know, trying to trick Superman into, you know, taking her pet dog to the zoo or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of goofy yeah. ones, um, and I love reading about those. I don't know. There's, there's this, this, uh, this one guy online who likes to look at the weirdest part superhero storylines mm -hmm. ever and kind of talk about them. It's, it's, it's great. Uh, I think he calls it I Love You But You're Strange. <laughs> you that, um, with comics. He's just done all of the weirdest ones. Mm -hmm. um, but they've also done some really clever, creative things where you're like, wow, um, what can I add to this genre? What, where's the new ground? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it can be really tough. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the areas was like coming up with names that hadn't been used to death. 
yeah. by, the com- by the comics industry already is surprisingly difficult. I had to throw away a lot of the ideas for names of, uh, of, uh, of supervillains for these books. Um, and it, it, it's interesting to me to look at this um, because what I was really doing, if you honestly boil it down, is this is me looking at the superhero film genre of recent, mm-hmm. which is a spin-off of the superhero comic genre, yeah. and me reacting to that. Um, my book is, is really using more of the tropes of things like the most recent explosion, the, the Marvel um, Universe stuff, or, yeah. uh, or the, the, um, um, the Dark Knight series, and things like that. There's a lot more of that. I've been more heavily influenced there, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting to me to consider, because it's like, now it's gone to one medium, and now I'm hopping it to a, another medium. Yeah. And is it, is it just, am I distilling all the life out of it? Or am I adding something new and interesting? These are the sort of things as a, as a storyteller you kind of look at uh, and wonder. Well, I like the really creative and unique weaknesses that mm-hmm. all of these uh, well, heroes or villains, well, epics, right. as you yeah. call them, uh-huh. have. And they're, they're not like the normal weaknesses you find right. in comics. The yeah. weaknesses are one of the one of one of the goofy things about mm-hmm. comics, right? Yeah. Like comic book heroes will have some really dumb weaknesses yeah. sometimes. And it's hilarious to me. Green Lantern being, yeah. being yellow. The color yellow. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah it, it can be really and it, it it's fun mm-hmm. um, that they have these things. And I I like that aspect and that's something I incorporated. Yeah. Uh, but it is a plot point of what the, the whole story is about, um, for the, those who haven't, haven't read it, young man, he's uh, nine years old in the prologue. He's, um, he's, or he's eight years old in the prologue. He's 18 for the rest of the story. But in the prologue, um, he's in the bank, and the supervillain shows up right after these epics start appearing. His name's Steelheart. And something happens where Steelheart is supposed to be impervious. Um, a bullet clips him, and he starts bleeding. Yeah. And always before, a bullet could bounce off him. And so Steelheart flips out and kills everybody there, um, including uh, our hero David's father. But David gets out. And for 10 years, he's the only living person who has seen Steelheart in a moment of weakness, but he has no idea what caused that. Like, why was he weakened for that brief moment? What happened? Why was that one bullet, when 100 others bounced off him, one of them clipped him? Um, And so the whole story is about him trying to figure out what the actual weakness is and lay a trap where he can get revenge on this guy who killed his father. Yeah. I, I love the first line, though. I yeah. mean, it hooks you from the beginning. You know, I've seen Steelheart Blade. It's like, okay, I'm hooked. Now i gotta, I got to figure out, <laughs> right, what, we'll I gotta figure out where this goes. It, it's a great line. The line really works. Yeah, it does. Um, the, the whole prologue I wrote years before I was able to write the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things I had to get out of my system. Like, yeah. ah, I just got to write this. I got to write it. So I stopped we'll whatever it was I was doing. Night. Yeah. Well, it was, it was after I had that idea when that, I got cut off in traffic and I started imagining the whole story. Yeah. Um, and it was just a few weeks after that, I think, that I sat down and I wrote the whole prologue. And then I, had, I, had, I was like, this is awesome, but I can't write it right now. Um, I'm finishing The Wheel of Time right now. But it kept itching at me until I eventually was able to, to find the time to write the book. Nice. Wow. So what were some of the... Uh I don't want to use the word silly, but what were some of the uh, lesser hero and villain ideas that sort of got had to get tossed out of the book? Oh, the final boy. There on. I'm trying to remember now because it's been for years. Oh, you've got a Superman phone. Nice. Yes. Um, so I used one of them. I wanted a villain whose weakness is Kool-Aid. 
Um, I found a place for someone whose weakness is Kool-Aid. Um, and so you've got, you've got this tense moment. The, the sequel starts off with a tense moment. I'm trying to bring down an epic where it's like, you know, people are dying and things are like that. And the, 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 the resistance has water balloons filled with Kool-Aid. And that's their weapon. They're throwing. And it's this great incongruous image where you've like, you know, this ultimately powerful being. You can fry people with, with just like looking at them, getting splashed with water balloons uh, full of Kool-Aid. And that's the sort of, I love that. Like there's a goofiness. Mm-hmm. But there's also an awesomeness to the fact that what other book could I write where I can have a completely serious thing where your main weapon is a bunch of Kool-Aid water balloons? Uh, it's great. <laughs> I want to see this. Like on film. That would yeah. be awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I'm actually curious. Do you have any characters that came up with a terrible name for themselves so they actually named themselves? And like people are like, oh. that is like the spreadiest name you've ever No, no, no. Here, here's, here's one. Um, I'm like, I want to really, um, I like, I had uh, nieces when I was working on it. just love the color pink, right? Mm-hmm. Little girls love pink. I'm like, this pink is just completely, um, just overdone. And so I named something in a book and I called it, um, the pink pinkness as the super villain. <laughs> now, really fast. Um, and I wrote it down, I'm writing and stuff. And then I, then I, then I stopped and I'm like, no. Uh, oh, I need to change that. <laughs> but then I, I ended up putting it in the book. It's yeah. just one of the goofy superhero names that someone has named. Um, and, and half the people who read the book don't get it because you see it on, on the page. And you're like, oh, you know, okay, he's very pink or she's very pink or whatever. Yeah. But then you, you, the character says, hey, it's really fast. Um, <laughs> you, stuff like that. Um, uh, coming up with them. You, you end up doing that. Fairly often, as a fantasy writer, though, you're coming up with names. Uh, my very first book, Elantris, yeah. I was building this, um, this storytelling, this naming archetype for the book. I was taking linguistics class at the time. I won't go into the details. It's really boring. But I came up with a way to name things. It was all really consistent and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was based around these things called aeons, yeah. um, which are you know three letters, two long vowel sounds. And I, I came up with this aeon called Edo. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to name a city after this. And I called it Edoness. Um, but on the page, that's Adonis, mm-hmm. and I never made the connection. I wrote the entire book and sent it to my, um, to, my, um, to my writing group, and they're like, we love this book, but what does Greek mythology have to do with it? I'm like, what? Oh, Adonis. Oh! You never, you're in such a mindset where you're thinking differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I've accidentally used a swear word. Um, well, not a swear word, but a pejorative term for, um, for an ethnicity around, uh, with whom I don't associate very often. Uh, not a famous one, but I used it as the name of a type of fish. Um, and then what my editor is like, do you know what this word means? I look at him like, ow! It happens all the time, and you just hope your editor gets it because as a writer, your your mind can be in other places, and you're just constructing. You gotta construct like 200, 300 names for a fantasy novel, Um, and so you can get yourself into some real trouble if you aren't watching and having people read very clearly clearly for you, read very carefully. I mean. And uh, pick out the places where you've named something the pink pingness without, um, yeah. you know, without thinking about it. So it was still hard a little bit easier for you to write since you didn't have to do all that world building? Uh, because it was kind yes of present no. time? Yeah, yes and no. Um, there are advantages and disadvantages. Mm-hmm. I would say the, easy, the thing that made Steelheart a quicker write was the single viewpoint. Okay. Picking one viewpoint, when you multiply viewpoints, 
um, your your book gets very um, it's it, it's a lot more work. Yeah. Um, I would say that setting it in our world isn't necessarily easier, just because um, when you set something in our world, you have to deal with the baggage. Mm-hmm. Meaning, when people bring something along to a book, convincing them that it's actually not like that can be more work than wiping. Um, down, you know, taking a blank canvas and painting something on it for mm-hmm. them. Um, and th- this, is, this is kind of a truism of writing. And so if you use something familiar and have to remake it, it can, it can be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in that way, um, in some ways it was more difficult. Um, in some ways it's easier. It's a lot easier to come up with metaphors and similes and things like this when you can use a shared cultural background. Um, when I do it in my fantasy books, you know, you have to be careful. It's like, well, it's like a war zib uh, climbing a, a, a flark wall. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, of course. Um, when, you know, over here we can say it's like, you know, you ordered a, a Big Mac, but there was no special sauce. Yeah. And you can use that metaphor, and we can all be like, oh, yeah, the Big Mac is the special sauce, yeah. you know. Um, but it, 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 it can be really tough in those fantasy novels to have something that makes sense for their culture, but also doesn't sound like, Yes, it's like the, you ordered a floor wig and it didn't come with the the, the zingzack or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So um, what? Um, so I mean, are there ways though when you're writing in our like in our shared culture, like uh-huh. in modern yeah. time? Mm-hmm. Let's say you're setting a story in Salt Lake City. Yes. Uh huh. I mean, is there are there ways to sort of help convince? Uh, convince a reader that certain things are still how they are, like using right. roadmaps. You can definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that there is that nice aspect to it. It's just it's a line you've got to walk, mm-hmm. um, right? And you really have to convey it very early in your book. Um, the best books that do things like this are like 1984. I don't know if you remember the first line of 1984, um, but uh, and I can't quote it because I'm not good at quotes. But the, <laughs> the line basically it says um, it talks about the clock striking 13. Yeah. Right. Uh, it was like a cold day and something, and the clocks were striking 13. Someone's looking it up for us right now. Um, I think, is that what you're doing? That's what I'm doing. You're doing. Yeah, you can read it to us. But the idea of, in that sentence, it says there is discord. Yeah. Something is wrong. Something is different. Our clocks don't strike 13. Um, yeah. And it, it's the idea of the, the, the Hollywood calls it the strange attractor. When you take something familiar and you intentionally throw something incongruous in it to warn the reader or the viewer or whatever, you're going to get shaken out of your, um, of your comf- or, or what you expect. Okay. Um, and otherwise, people are going to assume it's what they expect. So it, it's just one of those things you have to do. Okay, so I found it. Yeah. Um, it was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 15. There you go. Now, you know, a line, a line like that, it's a brilliant line, because um, it says there are clocks, there are familiar things you know about, April is something you know about, it's our world, something like your culture, because it's not, you know, it's a place they know April, but mm-hmm. the clocks are different. But that yeah. one, that one word. thing makes you say, oh... This is different, um, and that's a brilliant example of just how to do this. Okay. So then, what sorts of, I guess, I mean, other than having your uh, epics coming in through Steelheart, I mean, what yeah. are, uh, what other things can we expect to see that are less congruous with our world? Um, well, I turned Chicago to steel. This is one of the things I wanted to do. And, and part of the lake. Uh, I turned yeah, part of the lake into steel. Uh, part of the reason for this is I wanted that familiar setting, but I wanted to shake it up. I like visually distinctive and interesting setting. And so Steelheart has the Midas touch. What he turns, he touches, he can turn into, for him, it's steel. Okay. Um, and he just turned the entire city, everything, into steel. 
um, except what people were touching at the time. It's, yeah. You know, there's like a little aura around people, I say, that stops when it, when it gets close to them. Otherwise, you know, he's not turning people to steel, but everything else. And so part of the lake and whatnot. And I did this just to have, it's our world, but it's different. I didn't want to do the standard post-apocalyptic yeah. Um, which is one way people do our world, but different, you know, decaying um, skyscrapers and things. But I think that's been done a little overly much. Okay. Um, and so I wanted to go somewhere different, and, but I wanted something visually striking. And in a, a, a major major metropolitan city yes. turned yeah. directly into steel. Directly into steel. Um, and the, lots of burrowing underneath so we can have catacomb, catacomb streets, um, borrowing a little bit from the sort of cyberpunk mode of this okay. oppressive government um, controlling something in this underground movement of people who can't quite be controlled by, by those above, um, sort of having what I call the steel catacombs, having you know, these tunnels underneath the city help me with that mode. So it's one of those other things I'm blending in. I love, I love the cyberpunk movement. And we're not really, you can't really write cyberpunk anymore. Cyberpunk was a movement that happened. Yeah. We've kind of gotten... You know, we've, well, it's not that we've gotten past it. It's more I like, think we're living in that world now. Yeah, we're living yeah. in that world in a lot of ways. We've, exactly. Yeah, we've got Google Glasses. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and <laughs> yeah. it is, it's like, you define it, we can do like this post-cyberpunk sort of stuff. Okay. Um, it's kind of a literary term. Of course you can write cyberpunk now, but what I'm saying is like, that's a, that's, there's a specific era time that was the cyberpunk time. Yeah. Um, and new stuff is cyberpunk, but not like in this new kind of thing. Um, it's like you can't write a golden age comic book anymore because yeah. the golden age of comics is past. You can write stuff deeply influenced by it, yeah. but you can't. Um, yeah. It's the, the, the literary era. And that's kind of how cyberpunk is. is we've got, now that we have this world we have now, where we are kind of living in it, um, and it's, it's interesting to be influenced by all of those writers. Yeah, from... Uh from years gone by, right? Years. That was, I mean, literally, I guess, 1984. And yeah, that was that early. was the early 80s, um, and and maybe the end of the 70s, depending on you talk to. Um, you know, the snow crash mark, the end of it, is it the first post-cyberpunk book? A lot of people have said snow crash is first post-cyberpunk. It's like the kickoff, the sort of response to cyberpunk. Okay. Um, and that was 93, I think, or 92 yeah, or something. Yeah, that was pretty much the end. Then, then that's kind of the end of that style. And then you get, you know, The Matrix, which is kind of pop cyberpunk, right? Okay. It's yeah. taking away all of the sort of dark grittiness and, and turning it into this like beautiful martial arts thing um, <laughs> that, that, was, that was great, but it's, it's like this is a reaction to the cyberpunk movement. Anyway, we're completely off field now, aren't we? <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> no, that's we do that right. all the time. Yeah. We have so, a field. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, when you came and sat down and actually started writing Steelheart, uh, yeah. did you have to like... You know, Set yourself in a different mindset uh, writing this since it's set in kind of like a modern time as opposed to when you were writing uh, your high fantasies? Um, a good question. Um, with this, I did, but the main thing I did is I started writing it in first person in order, order to shake myself up. My epic fantasies are in third. And having a first person story really kind of just forced me to approach it from a different direction and forced me to try new things as a writer, which is what I felt helped with the tone. Mm. I just got distracted by a Shadowrun book over your shoulder. I'm like, oh, Cyberpunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right there. I was actually just leaping through that before yeah. you got in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, I, I did. It was mainly the viewpoint. Uh, writing from a first-person viewpoint, and it let me do some, some fun things. I, I really love the epics with their third person. This is kind of my first love. But uh, doing first person, for instance, the theme of, um, of David as a character is he's really bad at metaphors. 
Yeah, I love that. Um, and being able to have um, a narrative that occasionally makes this really terrible metaphor just cracked me up and made it so much fun to write the story. I'm like, wow, this is getting kind of oppressive and a little bit self-important. Time for a, a metaphor. And, you know, we'll have David comparing, you know, that's like a potato in a minefield and stuff like that. And you're like, what? It's like, yeah, yeah, a potato in a minefield. Like, you expect a mine, you're going to get blown up with a potato. And you're like, hey. Good, a potato. <laughs> uh, you know, the, 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 when you were talking about like different like foils for the for the superheroes, I thought it'd be kind of funny if a person's uh, uh, like major foil was bad puns. Right, bad puns, bad puns. I don't want to. That one's dangerous. Um, I I'm not sure. Like I actually considered that, but I'm like that that's dangerous because there's a line between having something that is ridiculous by association, yeah, and a line to being self-awaredly ridiculous. And that's a line that I think you have to be very ha- um, careful not to cross. Yeah. Um, where where you're mocking your, where you, you're going going into self-parody, and I, I worry that that one would go that direction. Um, I also, you know, well, the there, is that too much like Biff on Back to the Future? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah something like that. Or, um, there's actually a role-playing game where uh, you guys ever played Storbringer, the Elric role-playing game. I can't say I have. No. Um, there was a character, you get gained your experience points in that by fulfilling the desires of your gods or your okay. path of whatever, and one of them was bad puns, <laughs> and so you could pick a character who progressed by making bad puns. That would be awesome. Um, and so, and you really well in that game. You yeah, would. That, game, that, that was a very interesting game. Everyone else would be leveling slowly and you'd be like, master. I mean, yeah, I'd be well, like 23. Yeah. It was a really interesting game. I mean, most of the other things that you could do to, to advance your god's desires were not very nice. Okay. Because it's Stormbringer. I don't know if you guys have read Elric, but it's, I mean, it's about, um, Elric comes from a culture of people who were born without a morality. Oh, no okay. Sense, no conscience. Um, and that's a big plot thing is like Elric is the one who does have a conscience. He's weird among his people, but he's also soul bonded to a sword who has to like drink the souls, usually of his best friends, in order to um, to keep working. And he'll die without it. And so he's like most. I'm, I'm being facetious here, but yeah. a lot of El- Elric stories end with him like at murdering his best friend and then wow. saving the world or things like this. It's a really kind of dark series. Um, and again, I'm over-exaggerating, but, but I may have to go read they're, they're fantastic <laughs> books. Moorcock is wonderful. Wow. Um, they're, they're really good. They're really thin. Um, they were doing this sort of um, this gritty uh, fantasy long before George R. R. Martin uh, yeah. blended it with the epic and, uh, and made, um, made Game of Thrones. But uh, yeah, Elric and uh, uh, Cook's Black Company from way back when. Um, and David Gemmel, these guys were doing some awesome stuff with this kind of idea of the gritty fantasy uh, way back in the 70s and 80s. Nice. So are we going to see sequels for this book? Or yeah, I sold three book? of them. So okay, it'll be three. a trilogy and then it will, it will be done. Uh, so, so yeah, um, trilogy, uh, sequel I'm working on. I'm supposed to be doing it right now, but I'm actually finishing up revisions on uh, Words of Radiance, which is the sequel to Way of Kings, my okay. big yeah. um, epic series. Um, uh, and I'll be turning that in and then finishing the series called Firefight. Now, because you had mentioned Awakening, how many books is planned in that series? Awakening is two five-book arcs. Two five-book arcs, so yeah. about ten books. About ten so, books. Wow. It'll be exactly wow. ten books. I have them all plotted. And they're, and they're all as thick. They, well, I've kept telling the publisher that the second one will be shorter, but it's longer right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I can trim it down and keep my promise. Um, it may be like by one word or two words. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's, um, my first love is epic fantasy. Yeah. And in epic fantasy, I've... 
I feel like it's not like I'm expanding the length in order to just have a length, mm-hmm. but I, there's a certain thing about epic fantasy, which is the sense of immersion, the loss of different plots that are all weaving together in interesting ways, um, the expansive world building, and, uh, and very different from our own world mm-hmm. world building, and this requires a certain amount of weight of pages yeah. in order to get across appropriately. Um, and so, yeah, it's big. Big Speaking of Way of Kings, I got one complaint. It felt like it was too short. It is. Okay. You can't do things like this. It's a thousand pages long, right? I really shorted a thousand pages. And then I'm like, look how big my book is. And then both George and Pat Rothfuss, George Martin, released books like the next year. They were like, 5% longer than mine. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. I can't write the biggest book for, yeah. for even a little bit of time. You guys both have to be bigger than me. Well, I, what I like about the book is even though it's so big, the pacing is really good. And, you know, you know I've read some books where it's like, oh, my gosh, am I ever going to get through this? But it, it paces really well, and you read through it. I imagine The Way of Kings um, and its sequels, the way I actually pace them, it's like um, when, when I plot them, I plot them as, a, as, as basically... Each book is four books in one, okay. and they're plotted mm-hmm. like that. When you pick it up, you're getting a series of four books, which I hope are all tightly um, plotted and paced, but then there's going to be, it's, they're each their own series mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways that then come to a climax that's weaving all these things together. And so my goal is to keep that, maintain that pacing like that. Okay. Um, I'm not as, uh, as fast paced as a couple other writers are doing this, but I'm impressed by Jim Butcher's Epic Fantasy. Have you ever ha- have read those? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the pacing on those is just like, it's like you're reading like 24 the 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 fan, epic yeah. fantasy book, right? Yeah. It's like just pulls you through. It takes place in like just a couple of days usually, and they are so tightly paced. Um, I'm in awe of what Jim Butcher can do in epic fantasy. I've been reading um also some uh, some Brett Weeks lately, and he really yeah, paces I, I love really quickly books. in his books. Uh, um, so so yeah, I see actually what they're doing is kind of a little bit of a new branch of fantasy. Um, which is the more like a thriller-paced epic fantasy, okay. which I'm not actually doing. Mine, mine yeah. are paced like a traditional epic fantasy. I'm just trying to pace them tightly so that they're, they're, they're quick reads, despite yeah. that. But what these guys are doing is they're pacing them much more like a thriller, but just a 400-page thriller, which is working really well. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that there's kind of more in this genre that can actually become a literary movement. You can't tell I'm an English major. Yeah. You've got a master's in English. Like, look, these guys are doing this new thing. Um, they're combining these two genres and making this sort of awesome literary movement. So, anyway. Nice. <laughs> I know that I won't be sleeping after I get those books where we have King Theory. Oh, man, once you finish them anyway. Yeah, it might take a little while. <laughs> Read them one at a time. Yeah, a little bit of time. So, yeah. I mean, so how how did your writing for the Way of Kings sort of impact uh, coming up with Steelheart and coming up with that sort of tight pacing? Did that translate into that? Um, mm, I was using very different tools. Okay. Um, as a writer, there are certain tools I take out of my toolbox, and as I practice them, I get better. And I, yes, they will influence different things that I'll do. But at the end of the day, the tool for um, for Steelheart was the thriller pacing. Um, I was looking at um, my models. I watched a lot of films that were paced like thrillers, um, like the, the the Dark Knight. If okay. you if you've watched the Dark Knight, it's my favorite superhero film, right? It's a lot of people's favorite superhero film, um, and it's partially because of how tight that storytelling is. Yeah. Um, even with the false end, um, which kind of takes you out for a minute, it just starts high tension with the heist, and then it just piles on the tension from then on. It's something is always going wrong. Um, and that 
it's a city under siege, and it works really well um, in that film. And I like that pacing, and I wanted to translate that to and a have the story Europe yeah. that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, I mean, would there, would there um, I guess, would this influence then some of your further works going back into... Potentially, potentially. We'll, we'll have to see. Every book I do is influencing everything I do. Okay. Um, but I use very different tools. For instance, um, when I'm writing a, a thriller-type mm-hmm. pace book, one of my goals is to keep the tension high and usually end chapters quickly with a, you know, short chapters with a, the end, something going wrong, and you're going into the next chapter to find out, you know, how to get out of it. Yeah. I don't pace epic fantasies like that. With epic fantasies, because you're not going to read the book in one or two sittings, it's going to be a lot of sittings. And because we've got so many characters and things like this, I pace them such that when I end the sequence of chapters, it's a breathing point where you say, okay, I can put the book down now. And I have gotten a full arc, and yes, there's threads going past that, but this arc is done, mm-hmm. okay. Um, I've finished a chunk. I can be done now and digest. You can set your bookmark in and be like, yes. okay. Now it's time to digest. And with uh, the thriller pacing, you don't want the time to digest. That's mm-hmm. You want to pull them through, and then you read the book in one or two sittings, and you're done. And I, that's not how I look at the epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. And it's just the epic fantasy, you know, the world is so different. When you, sit, when you close that book, I want the world to be alive in your head. And you take that time to process and to be imagining when you come back that time apart and helps you to imagine the world better. It's a different tool. Yeah. Definitely. So, kind of, so basically, like the, the epic fantasies are just kind of like a uh, interwoven uh, uh, mass of shorter stories that all yeah. kind of branch and, and connect with each other. Right, right. Um, but it's, it's when you're doing something that's like this, it's more, uh, you call it, we call it nesting. I'm trying to nest. And so what I'm doing is you start a plot cycle, and then you start a smaller one and a smaller one, and then you resume resolve the smaller one, like nested brackets. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done coding? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like this, nested parentheses and things like this, where certain things you're, are long bombs, you're hauling into the air, you know, the, the football you're throwing toward the end zone, and then you're completing a bunch of smaller passes in between um, that as you get near the end, these things all start hitting, and you're like, wow, all of these, um, all of these different plot cycles are coming to a head together at once, but in between, you've had satisfying smaller sub-arcs, which have been completed. Um, and some of those arcs are one chapter long. Some of those arcs are three or four chapters long. I've got the book divided into parts because I view some of these. You read part one, and part one is like 90,000 words. It's as long as a regular novel. And when we get to done, several major arcs are finished, but so, uh, big ones are still in the air. Um, so, so, yeah, that's how I view doing this. <laughs> yeah. It can be really challenging. There's a reason why writing um, Words of Radiance is probably going to take around, when it's finished, almost two years of work, where Steelheart was about four months. Um, and even though Steelheart is one-fourth the size of Words of Radiance, even if you, add, you multiply that together, you're not quite getting to the amount of time it takes to write Words of Radiance because of that out of the complexity. Hmm. So... What is the shortest amount of time it's taken you to write a book? A book? A full book? A full Um, book. Well, the Alcatraz books would probably be the shortest. Okay. Um, The Alcatraz, they're 50,000 words, so they're even half the length of um, words of radio. Okay. They're one viewpoint. They are self-aware, which means I I can just write whatever goofy thing I want, and I, I, um, I discovery write them, which I, I kind of approach writing those books like an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway. Okay. You guys have seen yeah, that. I, mean, I give show. myself a bunch. I brainstorm for a day with a bunch of props, 
quote unquote, and then I write a book and I'm like, I've got to use all this stuff. Okay. Um, and um, I wrote the first one of those um, in 13 working days. Oh wow. Um, which uh, which is the, is really fast. Yeah. Um, but those books are light, quick, um, fun, and um, they're really short. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, that's the fastest I've ever done something. Um, it was a time where I really needed to blow off some steam and write something. I didn't actually intend to publish it. It was I just needed to write something different. No. Um, it was after the second Mistborn novel, um, way back when, and so. Yeah, nice. That's as that's as fast as it gets. My wife and I are very grateful you did publish them. We love those ones. Actually, <laughs> thank you. We just need the fifth book. A uh, fifth book, fifth book. Kind of, um, I'm, I'm feeling the need to write it. I actually wrote some 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 things, but I need to sit down and just brainstorm the whole thing and go. Oh, pro. Yeah, my publisher oh. didn't. Uh, my publisher didn't uh, didn't buy the fifth book. Yeah. Um, and so since I don't have a contract for it, I felt like I needed to focus on the things I did have yeah. contracts for, like the Wheel of Time. But yeah. I don't want to leave fans hanging. I do like want to be finishing things. So nice. you will get your ending here. Yay! You will get close. You will get it. So um, have uh, have any of your books, especially Steelheart, the newest uh-huh. one that yeah. we're supposedly talking about, have any of them been optioned for movies at this point? Oh yeah, so movies. Uh, yes, optioning doesn't mean anything. Option doesn't mean anything, unfortunately. Um, I have optioned for basically everything. Um, oh, okay. I've sold the first thing I sold was Alcatraz, the DreamWorks animation, mm-hmm. and that option went five years and then finally lapsed. Uh, they got really close. They brought me in once. Uh, DreamWorks, it was uh, great. They um, they showed me the storyboards they done. They showed me you know clips of the new movies that they had coming out. The the Cruise was the one they were just starting work on. Then they finished How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, this is way back, way back ago. Um, and they got really close, and then eventually they just decided it wasn't for them, which is perfectly all right. That's what happened. Yeah. You know, uh, they they paid their payments for five years. Yeah, uh, you so got money. I got I got more money off of that um, option mm-hmm. than I got off of selling the books, which was cool. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, that didn't go. Mistborn sold next, um, and Mistborn is just almost to the end of its um, option period. I'm really hopeful. I was on the phone with the producer on the way here, actually. I'm just chatting with him. He's a great guy. I really have hope for him. Um, but he's got to get a deal by January. Otherwise, uh, everything kind of falls apart there. I hope for that because I'd really like to see that one as a movie. Yeah, I'd love to see it as a movie, too. I've got um, everybody hooked to the Mistborn books. Everybody says like, they need to make a movie out of this. No, it's really it's, it's um, a great setting. Oh, thanks. Yeah. After that, I sold Legion. Uh, which is a novella I did at the television show. Um, that's been going for two years. Um, and they still say they're planning on doing it, but I don't know if they ever will. Um, I sold Steelheart this summer oh, wow. um, after a long negotiation. Um, and most recently, I sold Emperor's Soul. Um, or at least we haven't signed the contract yet, but we have the offer, and it's in the contract negotiation. Wait, even seeing like Alloy of Law. Yeah, even a TV fun. series or a movie would be fun. I mean, mm-hmm. that, it has a really fun spaghetti western type feel with all that. Yeah, I would, I would love to see any of these things get made. Yeah. I mean, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm um, I'm a writer. Yeah. I, I, I'm a novelist, and if never none of my films get made, that's okay too. Yeah. I mean, I have to be careful not to think of getting a film made as, as the highest level of achievement you can have because it's not. Um, having a film made is awesome, but my highest level of achievement is writing great novels. Mm-hmm. A film will get my novels to more people and my stories to more people, but 
I'm a I'm a novelist, and that's where my attention is. My focus. Nice. So, since we're still speaking about films as well, uh, mm-hmm. have you thought of like what character, like what actor you could see playing some of your characters? Um, I usually don't cast char- actors in my roles, um, and some writers do. I have a friend yeah. who will go, you know, look through magazines to find models and cut them out and be like, all right, this is this character, this is this character. Um, I have not done that for any of my books except for Legion. Um, where the delusions that he sees are all people I know or actors, oh. um, which is just something different to, to help me distinguish that book in my head. So anytime one of those people comes on screen, it's somebody I know, um, or somebody like the, the, a lot of them are actors and things like that. Um, so yes, I have, but not very often. If they do make Legion, I hope it doesn't end up like Dresden. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm hoping that we can get a wheel of time made. Um, honestly, I, I'm I'm really not involved in that a whole lot. But you know, I'm a big fan of the books. Obviously, so I'd love to see them get made. Universal has the rights, and I don't know what they're planning to do with it at this point. Uh, that's a massive undertaking. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I've talked with the producers and sat down and brainstormed about how you would approach telling the story. Um, I've always told them a miniseries makes way more sense um, than a feature yeah. film. Um, yeah. But I think they look at it as a feature film tentpole as well. And it's like hard for them to say, could we, you know, this thing that could potentially be a massive feature film tentpole, do we want to do that as a television show instead? Um, I'm hoping that they'll move that direction. I've heard word that, you know, they at least consider it. Uh, the Game of Thrones, I think, is making everyone consider fantasy more viable uh, for television show. But, um, but we'll see. Yeah. Talk about yeah. it. I mean, that is that yeah. is that, that's got to yeah. be one of the yeah. fourteen most high novels, like big thick novels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a wealth of uh, yeah. of, uh, of uh, I can't remember the word uh, of. Uh, Material. Source material, yeah. yeah. A lot of material. A huge material going well, on there. And some of those books could even go two seasons. Yeah, just they could. Just for so, one book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, mean, I think they're doing that for this latest uh, book. Oh, Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones, yeah. They, they oh, split the book. Well, that, that'll let him catch up. That's yeah. <laughs> Not writing him fast enough. Yeah. Put in filler. <laughs> yep. No. Filler is bad. <laughs> So I've often commented about how um, I don't know if you've ever seen George R. R. Martin's like his own personal website. Uh huh. It's, it's nice now. It's, oh, he's got it all. Yeah, go go look it up. He, yeah, for years George Martin, everybody in writing had terrible websites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I felt that okay, that mine was only slightly terrible. Like it was still not great, <laughs> but it wasn't you know, but it wasn't as bad as George R. R. Martin's. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, you know, uh, Robin Hobbs was dreadful for years. All of our websites they're like creative. Uh, and so they were just bad websites and then Robin got a new one and it was really good and now George has a brand new one so I finally had to get a new website too it was so sad and I'm like oh I can't I can't say at least mine's not as bad as George's anymore (laughs) (laughs) you gotta play catch up go there and stuff it it changed like the summer or something Mm -hmm. like that yeah so uh, what sort of um, I guess what what sort of the uh, silly thing that you revealed on your website in your own blog silly I don't know you're asking me hard questions. I don't remember these things. <laughs> I block them out when I do silly things. Um, I like to talk about my um, my blog is really for the serious stuff, and Twitter and Facebook are for the silly things. Okay. Okay. Honestly, um, if you're gonna, if I'm gonna take the effort to do a blog post, it's gonna be 
something serious or about the books or you know me writing about something serious on Twitter though you'll go find me uh, like you know posting what did I do a couple months ago my um my three year old was saying his prayers mm -hmm. um and he said um in the name of Jesus Christ back then. Nice. So, amen. Yeah. He has been learning about rhymes or whatnot, yeah. and he just said amen, rhymes with Batman. And so, and so I'm not sure if it's comma, Jesus Christ, and Batman, or Jesus Christ, who is Batman. Um, either way, <laughs> it was the funniest thing I had heard in a long time. Wow. Having kids, oh, the material you get oh, yeah. is just awesome. Uh, so. With that said, has any of your what your kids have said influenced anything in your writing? Um, not quite yet because okay. they're really young. Yeah. Um, it, it's starting to. Um, I don't write for that age group though, mm -hmm. and so um, knowing how kids think and act helps me as I'm putting children into my books. Okay. That's useful, um, and it, it really helps me spot writers who haven't been around young kids mm -hmm. um, and things like this. And I mean. I've got a kindergartner right now, right? And for a long time, like, kindergartners are so young, but he's so old. Like, <laughs> kindergartners are not little kids anymore. Yeah. Um, granted, you know, they are the littlest of the kids at school, but kindergartners are articulate and, and, and everything. And in my head, that, like, I, for years, as just a dumb 20-something, like, kindergartner is like toddler. Yeah. But they're not. Um, and any time now I see something where kindergartners are presented a, a certain way, um, like, I don't know, like, you know, clips from South Park. Have you ever seen that? Like, the kindergartners and that are just, yeah. like, yeah. babies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was too precocious. And they're, they're, they can't talk. They babble and things like this. They're like two-year-olds. Um, and I'm like, and I'm sure for them it's for purposes of parody or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but it, you look at it and you like, you know, other authors do it not for parody and they get it completely wrong. And I wonder, how have I gotten this wrong all my life? So. <laughs> I know my kindergartners get, get uh, he has more homework coming home than my older kids. Really? Yeah. Well, mine crazy. Has, has homework too, but at least he still thinks it's fun. They're like presented as fun yeah. stuff to do. Come to color, get the yeah. thing, and they say. Yeah. Um, but he, he walked out of school the other day, and his friends who were in first grade, a year older than him, were coming home. They're like, Joel, you're going to hate first grade. The homework is, is really hard. Um, it's not fun anymore. And Joel came home and was like, oh, no, it's not going to be fun. Why have we got a first grade? I'm going to be You know, I like that. Awesome. Yeah, he doesn't have to anymore. Yeah, oh, do they not have that before? They, they stopped uh, taking cursive. And okay. Oh, All right. Really? Good. Yeah. Excellent. Huh. So everybody's signature you is going to be block letters. <laughs> all right. Well, mine are anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're winding down here. We're almost... you, you can recognize the first letters of all of... Yeah. And then the rest is just a little bit Well, my, my actual initials are all the same letters, so I really, oh. like, moved three L's together. And... <laughs> my initials are BS. Yeah. And I actually signed my book BS. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm not sure what that's trying to say. Uh, there's something subconscious there, but yeah. Nice. <laughs> I like that. Thanks for buying my BS. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, if anybody wants to get a copy of Steelheart or wants to contact you and keep on praise or yes, or, or any kind of insults, hopefully not insults. Right, right. Um, BrandonSanderson.com. Uh, you can find all the stuff there. We do have a new website. 
Uh, there's all sorts of fun stuff like deleted scenes from my books and annotations of, uh, of a lot of my books and things like that. Um, if you want to... Uh, if you want to keep on uh, insults, my name is actually Pat Roffus. I write under a pseudonym. And I am finally, uh, Pat Roffus. Awesome. I, there's there's good some good stuff on there. Uh, Warbreaker. Warbreaker. Yeah, one of my novels. Yeah. I should mention that. Uh, one of my epic fantasies, a standalone. Um, a lot of people's favorite is on there for free. Uh, DRM free, any format you want. It's also just an HTML. So you can just read it on the website. Um, it is my my sample case. I figure if you're gonna you're gonna dig into one of these epic fantasy books, um, it's a big investment of time. And the least I can do is give you one of them for free, so that you know if my style is something you enjoy reading. Good book. Very sound. Yep. Yes. 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 Yeah. Check it out. Um, Steelheart is being carried. It's the most widely distributed book of mine ever. Oh, wow. Um, so it's in Walmart and Target and all of these places. In fact, Walmart and Target each have exclusive editions um, where you've got an extra page of art in each of them. Oh, wow. Uh, what they're doing like with video games now with cool. exclusive editions. Yeah. And so Walmart has one, Barnes & Noble has one, um, Target has one, and Books and Million has one. So. Which one has the best one? I want to go that way. Uh, they're all really good. The yes, Barnes Noble one three. is an annotation. <laughs> don't buy all four. Yeah. four, but don't buy them all. You'll make it feel guilty. But the Barnes Noble one's an annotation. So if you like annotations, um, and the deleted scene sort of stuff, the other three are pieces of artwork of villains from the next book. Oh, nice. I think I'm going to Barnes and Noble. I like artwork, but I want more story. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, should we expect uh, some like the sequels to start coming with like giant statuettes? And yeah, something like that. Like, yeah. The, well, the, kind of the book industry is modeling the video game industry a little bit like that. So mm-hmm. maybe, you know, we'll come with the chainsaw gun in the next one or whatever. Nice. Yes! Special yeah. DLT. Yes! Uh, yeah. uh-huh. Special DLT. Yeah, yeah. special DLT. Special DLT to the e-copy room. That's right. If, if you buy it from Barnes & Noble, you get Yoda! <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get the new Yoda skin for yeah. the character. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it's a book. There's... How, how does that work? It works, trust yeah. me. <laughs> Next one's gonna show up. It comes in a, in a huge like shipping crate right, that has right. a life-size sculpture. That's for that's for ten years down the road when we have holographic books. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where you don't have to read anymore. They just show it. <laughs> that would be fun. I know it wouldn't be fun. Direct bringing down. Yes. Style. All right. All right. Let me, yeah. give me a second. I'm going to read the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy and enter. And wow, that was a great series. Well, okay, maybe they can adjust this so you put these little things on your forehead and then the, the what you picture in your head is then projected out as you read. Mm, that could be cool. That, that would be kind of interesting other than like if you like... If somebody reads when they're in public, you kind of have a, a you get a, like, yeah, that, a that, that could be a problem. You get a window as to what their inner psyche actually yeah. is. I just don't want them to start doing the little spike in the back of the skull. I mean, yeah, no, Matrix no. made it really creepy. Yeah. No, no. No, no spike. Cyberpunk again. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got five minutes left. Any last questions from you guys? Um, favorite cookie. Favorite cookie. Okay. I would say um, coffee chip and butterscotch scotchies with like the... Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Uh, the, the oatmeal scotchies with, mm-hmm. with, with, with uh, hot coffee chips. Yeah. Oh. Mm. I, I need to go to the store. <laughs> Alright, yours? Favorite board game. Favorite board game? Um, I play Magic. 
I don't have time for boys. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> and then, and Dan Wells track, is gone. Too. I have to keep track. Yeah, you gotta get Dan Wells on here. Um, yeah. I, no, I mean, what, I played a lot of board games once, but none really extensively. Um, just because I play magic. Yeah, you you got magic. Mm-hmm. All right. Favorite Ninja Turtle character. Um, Not necessarily has to be an intro. Right, right. Oh, boy. Um, this is what you get for saying you've read them. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. It's just going back to the original um, and, and looking at the turtles and things like this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Splinter. He was awesome. Yeah, he right? was. I mean, he was just so cool. Um, it's really hard to screw him up. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I got over my dislike of the new Archie ones. Mm-hmm. The Archie comics, that's what we call it when they bought them. I think it was Archie yeah. comics that bought them and released the kind of more friendly pizza eating um, Cowabunga Turtle. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which modeled I modeled after the 80s cartoon. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the Archie cartoon came from that. Yeah. Oh. Uh, they bought it and then that made the, made the cartoon from that, as well, I, I understand. That's what I get for just reading the dark ones. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, think, I could be completely wrong. Someone can can post on and tell us, but I think Archie Comics bought it and they mm-hmm. made the cartoon off that, or maybe they made, the cartoon people licensed it and then licensed it to Archie Comics. Whatever happened, you, you ended up with the new ones. I became, eventually came around to enjoying them. It took a long time, though, because this wasn't the Turtles to me, you know? Yeah. When I heard there was a Turtles TV show, I'm like, oh, that'd be so cool! And then I watched it, I'm like, they didn't kill anybody! Yeah, where's the murder? <laughs> and the mayhem. Mm-hmm. So, in that aspect, did you see the one where they actually brought in those Ninja Turtles into one of the cartoon series? Oh, yeah, there was a cartoon no. series where they brought the old Goofy cartoon the and the ones from the comics. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, was that one that's like the new movie or something? Like some dimensional crossover. It was, uh, it was like a just made-for-TV movie. Oh, yeah. a movie, okay. Yeah, yeah. Before, it was one of the newer ones made in 2004. Like, uh, okay, I never saw that one. But, yeah, they had them all crossed over, and mm-hmm. some of the Ninja Turtles were like, Hey, Raph, they make, uh, they come in about the original Ninja Turtles. These guys make you look calm and happy. <laughs> nice. Which yeah. is true, actually. <laughs> Did they make comment on the fact that the best thing um, that Leo can think to do with his katanas when he's fighting bad guys is to stab them in the ceiling and then grab them and kick the bad guys? Nice. <laughs> because, you know, that's, that's what he would do in the, the new movies and things yeah. like that. I'm like, you're wielding a katana! Yeah. Sword, sword, sword! You can't ever things. There's, there's lots of things that I've been upset about when they have to deal with uh, trying to keep it for kids. Right. Yeah. But I like, understand. It's yeah. okay. But it's it, it's hilarious when you watch it. And you're just like, really? Well, you're gonna do that with your katana? That's how you're going to fight? One. Uh, I think the saddest thing they ever did was that new TMNT movie that uh-huh. they had. Uh, Michelangelo was in his uh, nunchucks because they were going to sell it to or have it show in uh-huh. England and it's illegal to have nunchucks. But uh-huh. they could have swords and sides But he couldn't have nunchucks were too dangerous. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, what did he use instead? Oh, he had his nunchucks. He, he would usually couldn't... end up throwing them and then punching people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Uh, All right. Uh, well, we had the 90 second mark. We did. So, so we're wrapping this up. So any of uh, Brandon's books can be found Amazon. Yep. Uh, if you want the audio book, audio independent as well. Yeah. Probably carrying them. 
Uh, if you have never heard the graphic audio version of Atlantris, I would suggest picking that up. It's amazing. Full cast recording yeah. um, version, so it's almost like yeah. a radio play. Yeah, really great, but uh, check out any of the books. Uh, Amazon, local bookstores, apparently Walmart, Target for Steelheart, Costco, everywhere has it, so that's amazing. Um, Thank you guys so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, and again, very welcome. Thank you for coming on again. My pleasure. Check yeah, out Brandon Sanderson. Tonight. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Check out BrandonSanderson.com or follow him on Facebook or Twitter. That's right. And we will catch you next week, uh, Monday. Oh, really? Is that that time? It's that time. Oh, man. Well, I guess we'll see you on Monday. So, good night, Solid. Good night. Get more from your day. Excuse me. I just noticed you noticing me, and I just wanted to give you notice that I noticed you, too. Internet. <laughs> All right, we're out. <laughs>